You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, an introduction to cryptocurrency. Yep, we're going there, journeyers. It's all about crypto today. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. All right. I've been putting off this episode for a little bit now. I got to admit, <laughs> I was not prepared or I did not want to really talk about this topic, but I thought it would be irresponsible, actually, of me not to begin to explore this because I know there are a lot of you who are maybe already doing this or who are interested in doing this. And just because of myself, me, I have a little apprehensiveness around this new wave, which is not that new anymore, but it's still fairly new compared to the other investment vehicles that we know of, is that this is this is the thing now. It's not going away, and it's cryptocurrency. So I have on a special guest, Dr. Hans, who will be breaking down for us everything or at least some of the things we should know about cryptocurrency. Now, I really wanted to do this episode because, again, just because cryptocurrency right now from the date of this recording is not something I'm invested in, it is actually something I'm looking to invest in. And so I do want to share that journey for myself, how I'm going to invest in crypto going forward with you. I'll share more of that when I start on the podcast. But I thought to myself that, you know, I view Journey to Launch and this platform as a buffet almost in terms of the content and information I give you. I really think you guys are really smart. If you're listening to this podcast, you're very smart and you are building more trust within yourselves to make financial decisions that work for you. And so cryptocurrency is something that while it's not for everyone, it may be helpful for you right now in your financial freedom journey. Now, I am still a big proponent of the basics, okay? If you're not contributing to your 401k or company retirement plan, not maxing out that Roth IRA or not at least getting those basics down of investing that you right now have, in my opinion, don't jump first to cryptocurrency because it's shiny and new and you think that it's going to be an amazing return as what we will be talking about with um, Dr. Hans. I still want you to do the basics, but I wanted to give you the information so you can make these decisions yourself. I trust you (laughs) and you should trust you to do the research. And so that's why I am introducing cryptocurrency to the podcast. I hope it will help you. Um, And I always say, do your own research, do your own research and make decisions that are best for you in your situation right now. All right. With that, let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Hans. Dr. Hans earned his path of distinction MBA from William and Mary and holds a doctor of pharmacy from St. John Fisher College. He was born and raised in Ghana, West Africa, and he recognized that the lack of investment literacy in immigrant and minority households was a problem. So he was dedicated to become an investor. He's read over 400 books, 40,000 financial articles, and spent 11 years essentially learning all about investing and money. He now has impacted the lives of countless professionals, creating generational wealth through his company, The Investing Tutor. So... Dr. Hans is going to really break down cryptocurrency for us. And I literally, I I asked him because I don't know anything about cryptocurrency other than what I've read. So my conversation literally is me asking him everything. 
from what I could think of that I needed to know. So we may have more episodes on this as we go deeper. As I said, if I start and when I start investing in crypto, but here is just something to get you started to help pique that interest and or give you the building blocks to learn more. Journey to Launch is supported by First Republic Bank. Do what I've been doing. Take advantage of personalized banking on the go with the First Republic mobile app. You can securely deposit checks, transfer funds, and contact your dedicated banker directly anytime, anywhere. The First Republic mobile app is your connection to customized solutions designed to meet your financial needs of any size. Manage your accounts from the convenience of your own home and with the bank you can trust. I love that when I need to make a mobile check deposit, send my friend some cash for my share of brunch, or pay my credit card bill, I can do it with the First Republic mobile app. The First Republic mobile app is available on the App Store and Google Play. Visit firstrepublic.com to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. I have a special episode, I think. That would be very educational. And I will admit, it's something that I've been avoiding on this podcast, the topic of cryptocurrency. But I think I found the perfect person to help me understand and you understand, Journeyer, what cryptocurrency is, why we should maybe be investing in it. And that is Dr. Hans of TheInvestingTutor.com. Welcome, Dr. Hans. Thank you so much, Jamila. I'm a big fan of your work. So it's just super incredible to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're tackling what for me is a just a foreign topic in terms of understanding it. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to have someone on who I feel like can explain this in a way that will be relatable and just in bite-sized chunks. But first, before we hop into cryptocurrency 101, I do want to touch upon your background a bit because I think it's fascinating. When I was reading through your blog on your site, um, it talked about you immigrating here from Ghana. And living in the Bronx, where I'm in New York. So I was like, okay, so he lived in the Bronx for a bit. So can you talk a little bit about your time here in New York and what you were doing and how you became eventually the investing tutor? Yeah, I like to say life started in Ghana for me, you know, grew up in an upper middle class household. So for those that don't know, if your parents went to college In Ghana, you are pretty much upper middle class. So top 10% of income earners. So that was the lifestyle in in Ghana uh, growing up. Uh, But then you used to watch like American movies and you see like this incredible place with like beaches, you know, frat parties, all of that. So when our family won the uh, green card lottery, which for those that don't know, the U.S. provides a few families in a particular developing country the opportunity to earn a permanent residency status. So our family was one of the few families that were picked uh, for the uh, green card lottery. And we had the opportunity to come to the U.S. So I was just super excited after all the movies I had watched, 
Home Alone, American Pie. I was like, yes, America is like the place to be. And I like to say how I had this grand vision of America and I was dropped off in Bronx, New York. <laughs> well, isn't that like um, the coming to America story? Like New York. And then he comes here. He's like, okay, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> 100%. How old were you? I'd say I was about 17. Okay. Yes. When, you know, life started in, in Bronx, New York. So, you know, went from living in, you know, a middle, upper middle class house in Ghana to initially sharing a two bedroom apartment with another couple and then eventually getting our own. And when I say with another couple, meaning like, mom with with us the kids in one room and then a, you know a, a, another couple with 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 a kid in their room and then eventually we kind of saved up money and were able to get a one bedroom apartment right and for those who are like how can you go from upper middle class to literally the bottom 20% in the country it's because the currency you have to divide your wealth divided by five when you look at the exchange rate of dollars to to the Ghana city. So essentially you're losing uh you know four fifths of your wealth when when you move to the US. So then life started then and I realized that in the beginning everyone just kept saying, hey, just go to school, get a good job, work very hard, and you'd be you'd make it like you'd be successful in America. So then that was the path that I was on. And I remember meeting this gentleman when I was in college. And at that time, he was trying to sign me up for a network marketing type program. But the path to him getting me to, uh, to sign up for that, he asked me to read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that book exposed me to this mindset and way of seeing the world and, and way of understanding how the rich and wealthy accumulate and build wealth. And it transformed my life because after reading that book, it inspired me to go off and begin reading as much as I could on the topic of investing. So the first book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Then I was reading uh, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. If you're listening to this and you haven't read Think and Grow Rich, please go get a copy after <laughs> this interview. Yes, yes. Yes, it's it's just absolutely phenomenal. And then I went off and I've read well over 400 books on the topic of, you know, personal finance, investing, building wealth. Right? I kind of honed in on that. I've read over 40,000 financial journals, you know, reports, uh, articles, and on average, every day, Jamila, I spend a, a good, let's say, four to five hours keeping up to date with uh, just our financial world. And the reason is because most immigrants, minorities were not exposed to how to build wealth. So in 2016, a friend of mine, uh, you know, asked me, hey, Hans, I'm working for a company and they are trying to get me to sign up for this thing called a 401k. And they are just trying to take my money from me. And I was like, wait, what are you talking about? They are not trying to take your money. You're, you can use that as a path to building wealth. And in that moment, I realized that most immigrants don't really even know the financial instruments that they can use to build wealth. So I decided to just 
pause for a moment and and reflect. And I was like, hmm, for the past give and take seven years, I've been accumulating all of this knowledge. And even when I was going to pharmacy school, I was spending more time reading about wealth building than I was about pharmacy. (laughs) So then in that moment, I was like, maybe this is a calling, a calling to be that individual who steps in to educate people in our community, right? In 2016, it wasn't um, common to see individuals, a lot of individuals uh, posting about investing in stocks, right? 2016, you just go buy an index fund or a mutual fund, right? But think about it. Imagine 2016 talking about the importance of stocks. Right now, it's common to buy stocks, but crypto is what is unconventional right now, right? So <laughs> it'll be it'll be interesting as we we dive in further. So that's what led me to creating my business, The Investing Tutor. And my goal was to simplify the topic of investing so that I can teach it to individuals in underrepresented groups, individuals who are not exposed to these concepts of wealth building so that uh, they can accumulate and build wealth while living in the U.S. Yeah, I love that. I can relate to that so much because as an immigrant myself and Coming here as a child, you know, saving, it was necessary. We had to work with the little we had, and but it wasn't room for then investing and growing that money. So I'm really glad that you're here now to teach us about this. What I feel is still foreign, I don't understand yet, but um, I just couldn't like not approach or talk about this subject because I do feel like it is important to demystify and that is cryptocurrency. So I'm going to like ask you a series of questions. We're going to see where this conversation takes us. But let's first start off with what is cryptocurrency? I guess the simplest way to describe it, Jamila, is that it's a digital asset. It's not something physical that you can hold. Let's call it a digital asset, right? A digital token, a digital currency. And the beauty of it is it is um, protected using encryption or cryptography. So in doing that, it makes it very difficult for an individual to try and create more of that particular currency or or digital asset once it's been programmed to have a fixed amount or certain properties. Okay, so it's a digital asset that is protected by encryption, okay, and it is decentralized, What that means is that no particular individual, company, government, institution controls it. No one entity controls that digital asset. So in essence, it is free for all, like any and everyone can get access to it. Now, before I jump ahead, I want you to think about this. When... Companies like, let's say, Facebook, right, or even Coinbase, when they were getting started, they were mainly available to the super rich and wealthy who initially wanted to write a check and then get in, right? And they ride most of that growth in in those particular companies. And once the company goes public, then we, the individuals in the public, can come in. After most of the wealth has been built, I was listening to a podcast episode yesterday, how this gentleman bought into Coinbase. 
he put a $300,000 check into Coinbase and was offered the stock at 15 cents per share. (laughs) Right now, as we talk, Coinbase is roughly about $250 per share. Wow. And Coinbase listed on the stock market at about $390 a share. So you can see how individuals who come in early are able to benefit significantly. Cryptocurrency, because it's a digital asset that is available to any and everyone, it's not excluded to only the rich and wealthy. Literally, individuals could buy Bitcoin when it was first created in, you know, 2009, 2010. Okay, if it's not controlled by an entity or a government, who created this asset? So there was this blog post. It came in by an anonymous individual who goes by the name Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, Satoshi, it was like this group, and he just came up and said, hey, can you imagine the world having some form of electronic cash That allows two individuals anywhere in the world to transact with each other without a third party, meaning without a bank, without anyone in the middle to approve that transaction. And Satoshi said he or she is in the process of creating that. And a couple of months later, you know, Bitcoin went live. And so that was created by Satoshi. Satoshi Nakamoto. Now... Some individuals, you know, speculate Satoshi can be an individual. Satoshi can be, uh, you know, a group of individuals. No one knows. But this anonymous person created Bitcoin and it was created immediately after the stock market crash, or if I should say the housing market crash of 2000, 2008. It inspired this group of individuals or this particular individual to create it because he felt that it was unfair that the government can just come in, print a ton of money, and then bail out rich and wealthy individuals and corporations. So he wanted to create an asset that was not controlled by the government. And that's what's fascinating about it. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to go back just to the base because for me, this allows me to establish like viability and like trust of this asset. So this person now, is he still around? Is he, but he doesn't control the asset anymore or not anymore, but what is his role in it now? He has no role. So he came in 2009, put it out and 2010, he disappeared. So if you can imagine this asset has stayed around for 11 years without any governing body any governing entity, no individual, no corporation, nothing. That is what makes Bitcoin, and not only Bitcoin, but the whole concept of cryptocurrency, a fascinating development. There's There's been nothing like it before. So to go from that to this year, hearing Tesla has bought, you know, $1.8 billion worth of Bitcoin or Square, has, has purchased $100 million of, of Bitcoin or MicroStrategy has put all of their cash into Bitcoin to hold Bitcoin instead of dollars. It, like, it makes you pause for a second and you're like, wow. Or that Visa and MasterCard are building electronic rails, if you will, 
to allow individuals to be able to transact with their debit or credit card on cryptocurrency blockchains like Bitcoin or Ethereum. It's just revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fascinating. So for someone, I mean, obviously I've heard of it. I've done light, very light research on it, but I've stayed away from um, really diving deep because it felt like, especially in the beginning when I first started to hear about it, was like, so who is, where is the re- like regulations? Like, how do we not know, like, this person doesn't come back and just blow the whole thing up? Like, if no one's in control of it, who's making sure that this st- stays around and stays legit, you know? Yeah. Do you, I, I don't know if you remember back in the day, we had something called LimeWire or yeah. those, yeah, those types of platforms. That's how we used to get our college. free uh, music. <laughs> 100%. I want you to think of LimeWire. The thing that made LimeWire great was when other people downloaded LimeWire. So you download LimeWire, you download that music or the video, and all of a sudden your computer becomes a server for someone else who wants that, that same music or video, right? Granted, you know, we can, we could say that, hey, the music industry and the filming industry didn't want people to have access to that, right? Fast forward to now, we have like Netflix and we have Spotify, which is like a similar concept, but it's centralized. <laughs> so that's in a sense, the way that our computers, after you download LimeWire, had was acting as a server, that's the same way that Bitcoin is. Any individual who wants to, in quotes, mine Bitcoin, which means they want to protect their Bitcoin network and, and they want to be a part of this opportunity to be able to get access to new coins, right? So there's an incentive process built into Bitcoin. If you look at how it's created, what it incentivizes, it's almost revolutionary because the way by which you get new coins is you have to use your computer to protect the Bitcoin network. So if you can imagine it, so if more people want Bitcoins, they have to, you know, go get more computer systems, which further protects the Bitcoin network. So that you're incentivized as an owner, if you are an owner, like to keep this going and to protect it, the asset itself. So Individuals can just own the asset and not necessarily want to mine for it. Because if you want to mine for it, meaning you want to get additional Bitcoins without necessarily paying for it, then you have to go get computer servers and you have to use a lot of electricity. I'm sure you've heard about the news. Oh, Bitcoin uses a lot of electricity. You have to use a lot of electricity to mine for this asset. So me, for example, I don't necessarily mine for it, but I'm okay with exchanging, you know, fiat currency, which is dollars to convert it into this fixed asset, which is, you know, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency and then hold it. And the reason I am comfortable doing that is. There's a finite amount of Bitcoins that will ever be created. So currently we have about 18.4 million that are in circulation. So if we're imagining this as a coin, there's like 18 yes. million of them. Okay. 18 million in circulation and roughly only about, and it's about 2.5 million, but let's just say 3 million. 
only 3 million additional coins will be added to their circulation over the next, let's say, give and take 100 years. Wait, and that is by mining? Exactly. You, that, only by that, mining. That's how you get the mining. coin. That's how you get the coin. And it's been programmed to distribute a certain number of coins every 10 minutes. And no matter how hard you mine, it's not going to produce more. So it's a fixed quantity that is released. Mm -hmm. Who's controlling the release of these coins? Satoshi Nakamoto in 2009 created the program which fixes this. So Bitcoin is called programmable money. So the laws of Bitcoin has been placed, has been put in place at the onset. And the law was every four years, the quantity of Bitcoin that's placed into circulation reduces by half. Okay. So in the first year, when individuals were mining, every 10 minutes, 50 coins, you know, miners get like 50 coins every 10 minutes. So you can imagine in the beginning, there's this huge incentive to mine and you're not using a lot of energy, right? It's super new. But over time, the quantity of coins reduced. So we went from individual, excuse me, miners getting 50 coins every 10 minutes to every four years, it's reducing by half. Now, currently, it's about 6.25 coins every 10 minutes. And four years from now, it's going to be only three coins every, you know, 10 minutes. And it keeps reducing. So we're going to get to a point where so in about a hundred years, all the Bitcoins will be mined and there will never, ever be an additional coin ever in circulation. So I want you to think about that. We have a digital asset, which unlike gold, like gold, someone can just go buy mining equipment and just go start mining anywhere and they find gold. Bitcoin has been programmed, so you cannot go just randomly mine <laughs> anywhere you want. So it's a fixed, verifiable asset. That is what makes it absolutely mind-blowing, if you think about it. Only 21 million of them, of those coins, will ever be available. Okay, and so Bitcoin is a type of cryptocurrency, right? Yes. So let's go back to that, because I think... So in the early stages, you could have gotten Bitcoin... For how much? Yeah, so uh, probably like three cents. Three cents for one Bitcoin. Now, what is yes. it? What is it now trading? Is it called trading or? Or how much is it worth? Yeah. Yeah. About $40,000. So if you want to buy one Bitcoin now, you have to have $40,000. Yes. Okay. And let me say this. Um, and this is just a rough estimate. By 2025, 2027, I'm estimating one Bitcoin will probably be anywhere between 500000 to $750,000. Okay. Question. So sure. you can buy, let's say you got in early and you bought Bitcoin for a dollar. Yeah. You can sell your Bitcoin and actually get cash. Like, so you could sell it right now and get, you said $40,000. So I can make a profit of $39,000 on one Bitcoin now. On one Bitcoin. If I bought it at a dollar. 100%. Okay. Now, so this is where the other currencies come into play, right? Like, so there's, mm -hmm. there's other things other than Bitcoin. I feel like Bitcoin, I hear the most, but there are other ones. Can you talk about the other types of cryptocurrency and then the opportunities and why it's available for more people? Because they're not as expensive, right? 
Yeah. So I want individuals to think about it as, let's say, tech companies, right? There isn't only Google or there isn't only Microsoft, right? There's Facebook, there's Netflix. I mean, I can go on and on naming all of them, like PayPal, right? So think about the crypto industry or like crypto tokens as Bitcoin is serving one purpose. And I want individuals to imagine Bitcoin as being digital gold or a digital asset, right? That was the purpose of of Bitcoin. Satoshi Nakamoto wanted to create electronic cash or some kind of electronic digital payment system that allows individuals to transact with each other. Now, other tokens are meant to do other things. So Ethereum, which is the second most popular digital uh, currency or digital token, is the best way to describe it is I want individuals to think about it as essentially the iOS or Android platform, right? Or even simpler, think about it as the app store where you can find other applications, right? So for example, if you wanted to download Netflix or Spotify, you have to go to the Apple store. If people have an Android, you know, that Google store. In the same way, Ethereum is the platform upon which companies can create other cryptocurrencies. Now, the catch is to create a cryptocurrency on Ethereum, you have to use Ethereum to pay for everything that you're doing. <laughs> so in a sense, Ethereum as the in quote token is used to power the Ethereum network. But now, you know, so many other cryptos are popping up. So for the average person who's trying to figure out, okay, what should I do with regards to cryptocurrency or how do I know cryptocurrencies are legit? In my opinion, I would want to own the most popular cryptocurrencies, right? So in my opinion, let's say the top two. <laughs> so Bitcoin and Ethereum, they are the most valuable when it comes to cryptocurrency assets. Bitcoin at a certain point uh, over the past two months was worth like $1 trillion. Uh, Ethereum was worth about $500 billion. So it's huge. I mean, by comparison, Amazon is worth over $1 trillion, right? And we have this asset, which is close to $1 trillion, which is $1 trillion. So we cannot ignore Bitcoin at this point. It's just way too important of a technology to ignore. Now, for the, mm -hmm, for the other tokens, I often say read about it. Just even if it's just the abstract, what are they trying to accomplish? Some of them are created because they believe oh, Ethereum isn't as fast. So maybe they've created another token that is 10 times as fast. When you say fast, what does that mean? Fast meaning transactions. Like, for example, I want to pay for something. Maybe Ethereum takes one second, but this other cryptocurrency takes a nanosecond. So then if individuals appreciate speed, they might want to use that particular crypto assets instead of Ethereum. So it allows for variety. Does that make sense? It does. And so when you say buy something, are you buying something like, what are you buying with this cryptocurrency? So I want you to 
just understand that cryptocurrencies can be exchanged for any currency on the planet. <laughs> so US dollars, if individuals are living in, you know, in, in Europe or, or UK to be specific, it could be the pounds, the euros. It is exchangeable or redeemable for cash. So if an individual is just transacting with it, from going from that crypto token to to a fiat currency, then it's interchangeable. But they can also use it, you know, within that crypto ecosystem and they can just use it as it is. Like, for example, let's say a person wants to create a crypto app that allows them to borrow money. So like you, you can do, and this will take us into a whole different dimension, which is way more than people need to know. But they are creating like banking platforms and infrastructures on Ethereum. There, there's even a crypto token that is looking to allow anyone anywhere to build credit from scratch. And the way they build credit is maybe you go borrow money and you pay it back. So then the blockchain is able to document that transaction. So all of a sudden, over time, you become credit worthy because they know you're a person of your word. All of that and more can be built on, you know, crypto assets. So when it comes to Ethereum, how much is that if you want to buy a coin? So right now, uh, Ethereum climbed up to about 4500 so $4,500 per token. And... I believe we had a pullback, uh, which crypto assets are volatile. So we had a pullback and I believe it's trading currently around $2,400 or $2,500. So it's a discount now, right? If you think of it that way. <laughs> it's a huge discount, huge discount. Have you ever wanted to learn how to trade as a side hustle so that you can reach your money goals, like paying off debt, traveling the world, buying a house and helping you fuel you to financial independence. I've got a special treat for you. I've teamed up with my friend, Terry Ijeoma of the Trade and Travel course so that she can help better educate you on what trading is, what day trading is, what swing trading is, if it's right for you to learn how to do this to get into it. Now you can get this free training by going to journeytolaunch.com slash Terry training. That's journeytolaunch.com slash Terry training and in the training, it's a video or audio training that you can get on demand. You'll learn more about Terry Gioma, how she transitioned from her nine to five to being a full-time entrepreneur and traveling the world, how trading allowed her to buy her dream house in the cash, the different types of trading, long-term investing, short-term investing, day trading, swing trading, how to trade as a form of income to pay off debt, save and supplement your income. And then of course, who should take Terry's course? We're going to talk about this a trade and travel course because this is not a get rich quick scheme. This is something you have to put time and energy into learning. So we cover all of that and you can get that right now by going to journeytolaunch.com slash Terry training to get the training right now for free. Journeytolaunch.com slash Terry training. Okay. This interview may come out not too close to when we're recording this, but I do, I saw people talking about oh, my crypto or oh, like my currency is down. So there is volatility and I do want to get into that part of it. But before we do, I just want to talk about another one that I was seeing around called Dogecoin. And that was very cheap, right? Like um, when I first saw it, people were like, I forgot how little it was. Everyone was like, I'm just going to get into Dogecoin 
So can you explain what that was and how that differs from the other cryptos? Yeah. So the creators of this particular coin, some people say doggy coin, some people say doge, some people say, uh, you know, it's like kind of like your flavor and, and you can use any word that you want. <laughs> so it was created by uh, these two individuals and they wanted to make fun of cryptocurrency. So they wanted to make fun of Bitcoin. So they said that, hey, imagine if we just take this uh, Shiba Inu dog, put put the face of the dog on a coin and I, we just call it, you know, doggy coin or doge, right? Will people buy it? And the price of the coin was like 0.00005 or 0.00001, right, per coin. And they literally created it as a joke to say like, hey, look, we can just make anything that we want, which is the beauty of cryptocurrency and crypto assets. Literally, anyone can create anything they want. But at the end of the day, are you going to have individuals who want to hold it and own it and use it? That's what determines its value, right? So it was created as a joke. And um, Elon Musk took a liking to the coin because he likes, you know, memes and he likes the Shiba Inu dog. So he started to tweet about it and talk about it. And all of a sudden, individuals were started to look at that particular crypto asset and people started to buy it. And the fascinating thing is if you were to ask someone who is deep into kind of like the finance space, would you buy this coin? The, the answer would be no. And I used to say that. I said that about Doge up until like April or May. And it hit me that, whoa, Hans, you missed a couple of very important factors, right? One, crypto assets value is based on people wanting to use it. So it's based on demand. So if more people want to hold the assets, it doesn't matter whether it's a joke. It doesn't matter whether it makes people laugh, right? We watch TikTok. TikTok doesn't provide us any fundamental value in life, but it's a multi-billion dollar company because people watch it. <laughs> Once you begin to understand that, it's like, wow, okay. So people want to have this Dogecoin and we saw Doge literally climb from like the 0.005 cents per coin to right now, I believe Doge is anywhere like 50 cents or 40 cents per coin. Literally, there was a math that was that was done. If at the start of the pandemic, individuals placed all of their stimulus checks, which you can say adds up to roughly maybe $3,000 or $3,500, that individual would be a multimillionaire today if they had put all of their stimulus into Doge. It's just mind-blowing. <laughs> it is mind-blowing. Okay, so now, all right, I have a, a few more questions because I know we're not going to be able to cover every single thing, but I do. I think this is a great start for people to get an understanding and then do more research. So now someone's listening. Now, before I redirect them, or because I'm going to get some direction here too, I'm like, all right, maybe I should like try some of this stuff. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the volatility and the risk. Like for you, should people, because even my little sister, love her to death. Um, one of them, they were like, I think I'm going to go with Dogecoin. And I'm like, all right, I don't, pro I don't problem with that, but I do want you to get the basics down. Like, are you maxing out your other, like your Roth at least? 
And I don't want to be short sighted and like not tell people to go after these things, but I also want people like to skip steps. And because I feel like people are like seeing this and saying, oh, here's something I can go after, but they're not even having the other basic investing principles down. So what is your opinion of who should and should not participate in this? I know you have some strong opinions on um, that. So I want to hear from you. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And, you know, just like you said, it is an opinion and, and it's for informational purposes. But I feel everyone, um, especially immigrants and minorities and underrepresented groups, everyone needs to participate in this asset, right? And the reason I say that is a study was done, and it's not like my study, literally, like I believe Goldman Sachs, these financial institutions, they did a study of a 60-40 portfolio, which in the financial world, it means an individual puts 60% of their investments into equities, which you know are stocks, and then 40% into bonds. They, they looked at the 60-40 portfolio, which is the standard portfolio for most individuals. And they said, well, let's take 1% of that. So let's do 60 equities, so 60 stocks, 39% bonds, and then 1% crypto. Let's say Bitcoin, to be exact. That portfolio dynamic outperformed the 60-40 by like about 10 times. <laughs> And that was just a 1% allocation to Bitcoin. See, the fascinating thing about Bitcoin is an individual can just start with 1% allocation if they don't want to take too much risk. And Bitcoin doesn't care. Eventually, Bitcoin will be 10% of your portfolio because it's growing so super fast. So a 1% allocation today could be worth uh, 10% of your entire nest egg five to seven years from now, because remember, the halving events happen. So meaning the quantity of Bitcoins that continue to go in circulation, it's going to continue to reduce every four years. So because of that, it's, you know, limiting the supply of, of these coins in circulation. But then five, seven years from now, more people are going to want it because it's going to be worth more. So it's driving this human instinct, which is just natural. Imagine, imagine me us sitting here thinking to herself, wow, Bitcoin was worth less than, less than a dollar, right? Even, even less than 10 cents in 2010. Right now it's like, what, 40,000. It's estimated to grow anywhere up to 500k, 1 million. I've even heard estimates of 5 million per coin. <laughs> And I'm like, wow, like, how is that even possible? So a 1% allocation right now might, might seem like money that someone is even comfortable losing. But the fact is, if Bitcoin and other top cryptocurrencies do what they were created to do, that 1% allocation, which is, in my opinion, risk-free, would literally be worth like 10%, 20%. 30% of a person's portfolio if they just keep that 1% allocation. Right. But then for people who are like wanting to use maybe cash flow, like cash or to invest, like they're, they might, most people don't have $40,000 to put down on Bitcoin. Right. So what does then the average person do if they are interested in this and they feel like they have done the research and um, they can take, they can lose what they're putting up. Right. Like, and that's the biggest thing for me. Cause I'm all about like, 
calculated risk taking, you know, you don't, don't put up like your rent, your mortgage, something that, you know, you're going to need to live. But for people who do have room to invest and to have their basics covered, like then what's the next thing that they would do if they can't do Bitcoin? The truth is they can do Bitcoin. So most individuals hear the price of Bitcoin and they think that you need to own a full coin, right? You absolutely do not. It's almost like a, a stock, right? So Amazon stock is like $3,000. Well, you don't need $3,000 to be able to buy Amazon stock when you're on Robinhood. You can buy fractional shares. So they are fractional pieces of Bitcoin. It's called like a fractional piece or one piece of, of a Bitcoin is called a Satoshi. You remember how the founder is Satoshi Nakamoto. So uh, one tiny piece of, of Bitcoin is a Satoshi. So Bitcoin, so one Bitcoin is broken into a hundred million Satoshis. <laughs> so a hundred million small units. So individuals in the Bitcoin community keep saying, like, just keep stacking sats. So sats for Satoshi. So just keep stacking sats. So individuals should realize that, no, you don't need to just focus only on one Bitcoin. I mean, there are only 21 million coins. In this world right now, there are 49 million millionaires. But there, there's only 21 million coins. So even if every millionaire today wanted one Bitcoin, they, they won't get it. <laughs> there isn't enough, uh, you know, for each millionaire. Okay. So how then does one participate in getting fractional shares? Yeah. Um, so there are tons of apps out there, but I will share the ones that I've used personally. So there's Cash App, right? So Square's Cash App allows individuals to buy as little as $1 for, you know, for Bitcoin. And that $1 is going to give them, I'm just estimating here, maybe like a thousand Satoshis or like 10,000 Satoshis or something. But like $1 gives a, an individual access to, to Bitcoin. So as little as $1. So there's Cash App, there's Coinbase, there is Gemini, which is um, a brokerage app for crypto that was created created by the Winklevoss twins. So you know how they, there was the whole Mark Zuckerberg versus those twins in Harvard who, who, whose idea was Facebook. So believe this or not, this is just a side story. The Winklevoss twins took their settlement from Facebook and they put almost half of it into Bitcoin. In 2013. So currently they, they have almost about the, the money at that time, I believe was about a hundred million. It's grown to about over $10 billion worth of Bitcoin. That was such a bold move. Yeah. So in terms of fractional shares, Cash App, um, Coinbase, Gemini, there's also Robinhood. Some individuals might say, you know, why Robinhood? Because Robinhood doesn't allow individuals to be able to take their crypto assets off of the platform. The other ones do. You can trade, you can take yours. The other ones do. Yes. Cash App does. Coinbase does. Gemini does. But Robinhood said they are in the process of creating what's called a digital wallet so that individuals can take their cryptos off of the exchange if they want. So remember how I said 
Bitcoin or crypto, it's like a freedom asset or a freedom type digital asset. Like, for example, if an individual were to purchase land, right, in New York or Virginia, you cannot just pick up the land and take it with you wherever you want. But guess what? Like, this is a digital asset that you can literally take with you any and everywhere. So if I had, let's say, $50,000 worth of Bitcoin and I, you know, just got on a plane, I didn't even need a bank account. I can just sit in a plane, go to any country on earth, and I touch down and I have access to that 50000 As long as you have access to the platform or, yes, or the um, internet, right, to get, because that's where it lives. It lives on the internet. So crypto assets are built on the internet, right? So once you are anywhere where you have access to internet or a smartphone device that is connected to the, you know, to the internet, which... I can guarantee, you know, by the next, right now, we can say a little over half of the entire population has access to the internet. But now that we have Amazon deploying like satellites, we have SpaceX deploying satellites, pretty much the entire world will have internet connectivity over the next like five years. Mm. And with that, once you're invested, right, let's just say you invested in this asset, whichever, you know, Bitcoin you choose, is it a hold strategy? So it's not like you're you're buying this, trading it to earn money, you know, in the now. It's really a hold strategy that you, you you're not supposed to sell it. Like, what is your opinion on that? One hundred percent buy and hold, like any great investment, right? That's what we learn as the fundamental. But Jamila, let me even add more to it. And this I know is going to blow your mind because you you know personal finance experts are passionate about high yield savings accounts, right? Like let your money earn you that one or 2%. What if I could tell you that if you are holding your Bitcoin, you could be paid six to 8% a year guaranteed just to hold onto your Bitcoin and allow the exchange. So for example, Coinbase, you are essentially, it's like holding your money in a CD, a certificate of deposit. So you kind of do the same thing with your Bitcoin. You allow them to hold it, right? And, and then lend it out or, or, you know, allow the company or the institution to use it. In doing that, they pay anywhere between six to 8% guaranteed without taking any risk. And they pay it back in your coin denomination or ca- like cash? In coins. So they pay it in, in Bitcoin or Ether or Ethereum if you staked. So depending on what you, you put up, you get that a percentage of that thing back. So in theory, you could take your gain out to use if you want, or in theory, you should reinvest it just like you would like with um, dividends. 100%. I would reinvest it like you would with dividends. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, it's important to note that too, because this is not a necessary, this is definitely not a get rich quick, like in the now scheme. Um, I think for people to understand, like this is a buy and hold strategy. So it's not like, you buy it and you exit and now, you know, you take the money and you spend it. I mean, I'm sure some people are doing that, especially with the decline and the drop that, you know, the volatility. I saw some posts that <laughs> someone, they were got, they got scared, they sold, they made money, but. Oh, I, I feel bad. I just, I, I just really want to be clear um, that this is not in the now kind of money. This is money you're literally putting up to stay. Yeah. It's to stay. I want people to imagine 
if you're buying Bitcoin, it's like buying a piece of property in Manhattan, <laughs> right? Will you buy it today and go sell it to, like, you remember how I'm saying it's a finite asset. There's only 21 million of, of those coins. So even if you have a portion, so you remember how we're talking about a fraction of a Bitcoin? It could be that, it could be that you have like a parking lot, right? Or maybe you own three or four parking spaces of that lot and it is yours forever. And once you begin to view it as an asset, why on earth would you sell it? So because it's a digital asset, guess what, Jamila? Right now, it's not every financial institution, but there are several financial institutions that will lend you money against your Bitcoin or your crypto asset because it's an asset. The same way a bank is willing to give you a loan to buy you know, a physical building because they know you can't take it away. So if you you know, you allow them to hold your Bitcoin, right? They will lend you money against it. It is so, in essence, in my opinion, never sell Bitcoin <laughs> is, is rule number one that my best friend and I came up with. And rule number two is never wait to buy more Bitcoin if you can, if you have the funds to buy it. <laughs> and again, for me, it's, I'm just putting myself in the position of even, uh, someone listening who has the capacity to buy and you're, you know, in their head or in my head, because I'm thinking like, then what is, if I can't realize the gain a, apart from maybe getting, um, a loan back by it, like there's no gain for me if I can never, if I'm never selling it, like even in my portfolio now, right? Like my long-term portfolio, that's buy and hold. Eventually I'm going to draw down on that to live in retirement, or I know it's going to go to my kids, but this is like, okay, you're buying Bitcoin, you're holding it. So then even if it goes to a million dollars, in theory, I'm a millionaire, but I, I can't use that money now. Like You can. Okay. You can borrow against it. So I wouldn't say borrow. I wouldn't say borrow against the entire asset. So let's say your Bitcoin is worth a million dollars. You can literally pull a hundred K, spend it. And unlike other assets, Bitcoin has been growing at about 150 to 250, excuse me. 150 to 200 percent every year on average for the past, let's say, 11 years. So unlike other assets where, let's say, you go spend 100K, you have to wait for that average return of 10 percent right per year, which is a stock market return. Now you have an asset that's going to be growing at roughly 100 percent. And I'm not saying it's going to continue growing at 100 percent. But even if it, let's say it reduces to 50 percent, that's five times the growth of, of the stock market. So in essence, if you have a million dollars worth of this crypto asset, you can pull 100K from it. It doesn't impact the true value of the coin. And let's say the following year is worth 2 million. Okay. <laughs> now your Bitcoin is worth 2 million and you already used 100K. It's just fascinating. And at any point that you want, realistically, you can just sell it and get the 2 million cash. You can. You really can. All right. I think this is a lot. I feel like this is a great starting point. Um, and, you know, truly, I did want to bring this as an educational piece um, to journeyers so that, you know, again, this is like a buffet of choices in life. Um, and I want to educate as much as I can and bring people who are more educated on the topic. And I feel like we may need to do a follow up. We'll see um, the responses and questions that come up because I feel like I have actually have more questions, but just to be considerate of time. So I'm going to get the links for you from some of the studies and I'm going to share some of those links so that in the show notes for this episode so people can get that. 
But um, can you share more about where they can find more about you? And then any resources um, that you can think of right now that someone can now start to understand and learn more about the cryptocurrency? Yeah. Jamila, I want to end by saying this. It just seems so confusing, complicated, but at the end of the day, it's super simple. (laughs) Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these crypto assets are just digital assets, right? Um, No different from, you know, a, a property, which is land or gold, right? The only difference is now you actually have proof that that particular asset exists and it belongs to XYZ. Right. And the same way that a person can buy a property and then rent it out and be making rent, you can, you know, rent out your Bitcoin or your Ethereum and you get paid every single year. My best friend has two duplexes that he rents out. And he was like, Hans, I'm so tempted to sell my duplexes and buy Bitcoin because if I was, if I convert that money into Bitcoin, I'll make much more money per year, even if I was just staking, meaning you're just placing that Bitcoin up to get that six to eight percent, you know, guaranteed return every year. He said he would make much more money than he's making on rent right now. Plus, the asset is still growing at anywhere close to 50 to 100 percent per year. But I told him, don't do that because your wife is going to probably <laughs> be super upset. So we'll just tiptoe into the space. So with that being said, cryptocurrency is not something that you're just taking all of your funds and putting it in. Individuals who are listening right now, maybe you don't like taking risk. 1%, 2% of what you invest. You can begin, you know, dip your toes in. For someone who's listening, who's optimistic, and they like to take some level of risk, 5 to 10%. Of their portfolio or just of what they're investing now? So if they're investing maybe 300 into um, their Roth, you're saying they take, I don't know the percentage, but you know, take $30 and start on the exchange kind of thing. Absolutely. Okay. Of, of new money or of cash that they believe they can take a percentage of that cash to invest. Never sell any investment. So if you already have stocks, 401k, don't touch, don't sell anything. Just keep it. <laughs> But with new capital, allocate anywhere between, you know, one to five percent or one to three percent for people who don't like risk. Right. Or if it's cash that you have sitting in a bank account, in my opinion, that just besides an emergency fund, it just doesn't make sense. One to three percent of that should be allocated to, to some kind of crypto asset. But for people who are more aggressive, they are willing to take a little bit more risk. I'd say five to 10 percent. And Jamila, that's how I started. I started with 5% and then I got up to 10%. And without doing anything, like I said, without doing anything, now crypto is like 30% or 35% of my assets because of the growth, <laughs> right? It's, I'm not even doing anything. I'm not doing it intentionally. It's just doing its own thing. And I'm not looking at Bitcoin or crypto assets as something that I'm looking to make quick money from. I'm literally thinking multi-generational. Of those 21 million coins, I can pass a number of those coins on to the next generation. And they are going to get the rule, never sell Bitcoin. (laughs) Never sell Bitcoin. You never want to sell Bitcoin, right? And let me say one more thing. You know how easy it is to pick up a phone, send a text message to anyone that has a smartphone? 
The same way it's easy to pick up a laptop or a smartphone device and send email to anyone that has, you know, a smartphone or a laptop. Essentially, Bitcoin is making it easy to send money or to send something of value to anyone who has access to the internet, just like text, just like email. And in itself, it converts to all, all currencies on earth without a foreign exchange rate. It's, it's just a beautiful invention. And once you begin to just sit down and study this crypto assets, I've spent over a hundred hours studying it and I'm just scratching the surface. <laughs> so for those who are interested in learning more, I have a free uh, program actually on my website, which, you know, they can get access to. It goes over some crypto assets. So my website is uh, www.theinvestingtutor.com. So they can get access to that free workshop. And for individuals who want to begin diving deeper, you can go to this website. It is hope.com because the main believers of Bitcoin know and understand that Bitcoin is hope for the future. So yeah, the website is hope.com. I didn't create that website, but what it does is it accumulates some of the best research from, you know, institutions like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, or individuals who are software coders and engineers who are working on these projects. And once you begin to read about them, whew. Yeah, I'm, I'm browsing it now. It's, it's wow. Okay. It is once you get into the, let's call it, the crypto rabbit hole, yeah. you will begin to look at the world completely different. Like, like I'm saying, why on earth, Jamila, would once people know that their assets are safe or their money is safe, just try and explain to me why would someone want to hold their money in a bank being paid 0.05%? Like, why would you do that? Once you understand this, the way this works. Once you understand this, like, and we aren't at the point where, you know, most individuals will feel comfortable holding their assets in crypto, but in 10 years, we will. And at that 10 year mark, when they are, when individuals are comfortable and converting all of their money into crypto to hold it in a safe savings account, guess what? All of that capital is increasing the value of crypto. And people will remember this conversation 10 years prior, <laughs> and I'll still be holding all of my crypto assets. <laughs> well, okay. So this, uh, again, I, I, I will link all these resources, your resources in the show notes so people can go do the work, do the research, read up upon this. And it's piquing my interest. I got to say, like, I, I, I do believe I'm going to take the plunge, but I want to, uh, I'll share that with journeyers, like probably in another episode or maybe, um, in the intro or outro of this. So thank you once again, Dr. Hans, for, teaching us this, um, for introducing us to this new method. And uh, let's see what happens. Absolutely. I'm excited. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Hans. I really, again, wanted to do this as a introduction to cryptocurrency. I hope you learned something and I hope it sparks a seed or something in you that then allows you to research more. And like I said, it's not something that I currently am doing, but I am looking into it and I will share my journey in investing in crypto. But, you know, there's a lot to be said. This this is not going away. Um, and while it is a volatile investment and while I still am a proponent of doing the basics first, please don't skip steps. 
please don't skip steps. We talk a lot about the basic steps and in investing in other episodes. I do want to be able to give you this information in case you are ready to learn more and to start investing in cryptocurrency. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, if you learned something, make sure you tag me on Instagram. That's where I hang out most at journey to launch and then Dr. Hans at investing tutor and tag Dr. Hans at the investing tutor. So tag me at journey to launch and Dr. Hans at the investing tutor, share it on your stories, share it on your feed. Let us know that you're listening and your takeaways. Is this something that you are going to try? Have you been doing it already? What has been your experience? Share it with me and I can then share it with the community. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here. So show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.